and here, yes, good evening. Uh, welcome to Friday Night Live with two, count them, two different camera angles. One for locals, one for just about everything else. How are you doing? I hope you're having a wonderful evening. And let's see, can I? A smidge? Yeah, a smidge. All right. Uh, okay, so welcome to the 17th of February 2023. Hey, how was your... Uh, how was your Valentine's? How was your Valentine's Day? Was it injury injury round today? I um Oh yeah, well okay, yes. Hit me with the why if you'd like me to start with a rant. I certainly have one. I certainly have one. <laughs> I certainly have one cooking. Would you like me to start with a rant? Is a rant in the cards for us today? Yes. Okay. All right. All right. Um, uh, my my dear, my dear friends who are overweight. My dear, dear friends who are overweight. First of all, my sympathies. Listen, straight up, man. I'm quite convinced that this happened when you were young. It happened because your parents fed you too much, there was too much junk in the house, and also because people just don't really go go out that much anymore. It's kind of an odd and strange thing that goes on in the world, but people don't really go out that much. Uh, I was part of a generation that I grew up, uh, nobody, nobody cared where we were. And, you know, there were times when that was a bit of a drag, and there were times when that was fantastic. Nobody cared where we were. You just... I mean, I, I remember sometimes, quite often, I would just, uh, I'd have lost a key. Now, my mom had this, well, she had a lot of <laughs> odd quirks in her brain. She had a lot of odd quirks in her brain. And one of them went something like this. Son, if you've lost a key, someone's going to find that key. And they're going to smell that key. They're going to insert that key up their nose. They're going to listen hard to that key. They're going to turn the tumblers of their brain. They're going to lick that key. They're going to put that key in there under their armpit and jump in place. And they're going to figure out, based upon some saliva-based testicle-dragging DNA trail, they're going to find our door from that key. But, Mom, I, our key doesn't have a... It doesn't got my name on it. It doesn't have the address. No, it doesn't matter. That key... Someone's going to find their way up and they're going to open our apartment. They're going to come into our place and they're going to steal. What? Everything we have is crap. What? No, it doesn't matter. You lost your key. So I could never tell my mom that I lost a key. What I would have to do, and you know, when you're a kid, you lose stuff, right? It's just the way it works, right? So when I was a kid, I'd lose my key. And what I'd have to do is I'd have to liberate my mother's key. I'd have to take it over to the hardware store. And I'd have to get the copy made and bring it back. But the, the key was $2, and $2 was pretty hard to find uh, back when I, was a, when I was a kid. I know it sounds ridiculous, but, you know, if you've ever grown up really poor, you know that 2 bucks is a very big deal at times. 2 bucks is a very big deal. So anyway, I would be without a key and, and so on, and, and I would just wouldn't be able to come home. <laughs> when I was uh, living in England, sometimes I'd be without a key and I'd just go to the superintendent. The superintendent, we lived on the third floor. The superintendent would give me a ladder to climb up. This is how things were. Because I, I left England when I was 11. I just turned 11. So this, I remember I was, it was post boarding school. I was in boarding school from six to eight. And then like nine or 10, I'd climb up a ladder, three stories to get <laughs> into the window. So that I could, anyway, it was nuts. Oh, uh, 
second floor? No, I was on the second floor. Uh, three stories would be a little too high. So uh, I just just roam around. I had no money. I had jobs and all of that. But yeah, you just, just roam around. You get your friends. You just you go find something to do. You go garbage picking. You just take your bikes and bike around places for no particular reason. And you do stupid tricks. And you, you <clears throat> find things and you assemble things. And you, uh, you'd maybe go to some guy's house uh, and so on. But yeah, you just, you just went. And, and nobody cared where you were. And people rarely cared when you uh, got, got home. And so, yeah, now that's all gone. Now everyone's just claustrophobic and kept inside. It's, it's been house arrest for the last generation. So I have a lot of sympathy. I have a lot of sympathy for people who, you don't just, you don't just become fat. Obviously, you, you, you gain weight, usually as a child. And weight, once gained, very hard to get rid of. I think everybody's aware of that, right? Weight, I mean, I was... A good 220, now I'm down to 190, and uh, you, you just have to change everything. You have to change absolutely everything. You have to not have the food in the house. You can't have dessert. And, you know, once or twice a year I'll have dessert. But you, you just got to change everything. You got to exercise more, particularly as you age, and you just you can't go back. I don't have cooks, cookies. I don't have chips. I don't have very little bit of chocolate, mostly because my daughter likes it. But very little of the stuff in the house, right? So you've got to change everything. That's really hard to do. It's really hard to just rewire everything about what you do. So I have a lot of sympathy for the people who uh, have gained weight. Of course, once you develop fat cells, my understanding is, I'm no nutritionist, but my understanding is once you get those fat cells, man, they just they just hang on like grim death, right? They, they hang on like, uh, like some guy in the friend zone trying to get a date. They just lurk around, right? Or it's a saying, <clears throat> my mom told me about this saying when I was a kid, uh, once on the lips, forever on the hips, right? Once you taste goes and threat. So the fat cells will grow or they'll shrink, but you can't really get rid of them. So it's very tough. And, and I have a lot of sympathy for this. You know, it's not the average child's fault that their parents, uh, their moms got lured into going to work to drive down the wages of the men and to not be around to cook home-cooked meals. And therefore, there's a lot of prepared food, a lot of a sort of pre-prepared food, a lot of crap that you get from the freezer section. You know, you always shop around the edge of the grocery store. The middle is death incarnate. And of course, they... When you freeze stuff and, and you process it like crazy, it takes all the taste out. So what do you do? Well, there was this whole fear of fat, fat-free, low-fat. And so what they did was they just added sugar. Man, I remember when I would go to the States. Holy crap. I don't know how you Americans do it, man. It's like your, your food is like a beautiful woman's drink at a dive bar. Everything's roofied with sugar. Like everything is roofied with sugar. I mean, ketchup. Sugar, carrots, sugar, beans, sugar. What the hell? <laughs> People are like, oh, you know, there used to be, used to be cocaine and Coca Cola. It's like there's sugar in everything. Sugar. I'm waiting for uh, you know some guy to to go by with a big vat of glucose on his back, like some hazmat suit, and just pumping glucose and high fructose corn syrup into like vegetables and fruit and it's just like nothing is natural anymore this bulging pregnant with carcinogenic sweeteners just ugh. it's like no 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 this one doesn't have any sugar oh really what's it got aspartame oh that just it gives me a headache just thinking about that stuff sucralose Ugh. they used to have this stuff olestra that was a substitute fat and it's like may cause anal leakage really more than monkeypox apparently so, yeah, I have a lot of sympathy. And, and it's not people's fault that the uh, FDA, boy, you know, before they were doing stuff with the vaccines, they were doing stuff with the whole food pyramid. 
And uh, it's like, uh, okay, who's got the most money? Uh, oh, a lot of people who produce grain and wheat. Okay, let's just get the carbs right up there. And who doesn't have as much money? Okay, well, we'll move those down. And ah, it's nuts, right? So I have a lot of sympathy, a lot of sympathy for people who, who grow up uh, uh, overweight. I grew up um, active all the time, out all the time, lots of sports. Oh, here's a funny sidebar. Here's a funny sidebar. So I, I posted my contempt for excessive watching of sports ball games, right? I posted somewhere like, here's to all the people with half a brain who aren't consumed by sports ball today, right? And of course, you know, anytime you criticize women, you get this flurry of low IQ women coming in saying, well, I guess you just can't get laid because you just can't get a date. Tell me how I know you don't have a girlfriend. It's like, so apparently um, women, their sole goal these days is to just screw guys into agreeing with them, which is actually not far from accurate historically. So anyway, it was just kind of funny because I'm, I'm fairly good at sports. I'm, I'm no sports champion or anything like that. I'm fairly good at sports. I came in seventh in all of Ontario when swimming back when I was a teenager. So I'm fairly good, fairly good at sports. Anyway, it just happened to be by coincidence. I was in a racquetball tournament this week and I came in third uh, out of a fair number, fair number of people actually. And I, I got a little, little basket and all that. <clears throat> so it's just kind of odd that people are like, Oh, and some guy was like, yeah, I'm going to need to see proof of your athletic skills. It's like, actually, just, <laughs> it just happened to a couple of days later win a, win a racquetball tournament. Anyway, it's neither, neither here nor there, but I just, that was kind of a funny coincidence. So, yeah, a lo lot of sympathy, man, a lot of sympathy. Uh, they got rid of recess, and everybody got terrified of the neighborhoods because we know that based upon the Putnam studies that diversify, that diversity kills neighborhood trust, uh, and people are just scared you know, I, I saw this video the other day of England in the 1950s, London in the 1950s. You have no idea how safe it used to be. I have no idea how safe. Honestly, from the age of four or five, I could roam anywhere I wanted in, in London, could get on buses. I remember it was four pennies to get on a bus. You get on buses. I'd go down to the War Museum from the age of five or six onwards with friends, and older friends and so on, right? And I just roamed the neighborhood. I, I lived on this, uh, it's called the council estate, which is a bunch of apartment buildings and a whole bunch of greenery around. And I just roam around anywhere I wanted and never had a single shred of concern for my safety. Uh, it's, uh, it's a whole different planet back th than it was uh, back then. So uh, are we getting an echo here? Uh, let me, sorry, let me just double check here. Uh, audio okay. I just want to double check that we're doing okay for the audio here. Audio okay on locals. Oh. Audio is perfect, my dude. Okay, thanks. All right, so yeah, I just idiots who come in and say there's an echo. Well, maybe coming from your end, although if there is one, always let me know. So yeah, I have a lot, lot of sympathy, you know, a lot of sympathy. And, you know, there's a, I hate to sort of say with regards to weight, like there's a tipping point. So when, if you've ever seen, there's, there's a photo floating around on the internet about, you know, the, the, this, is, this is an obese guy. He was so fat, about a little over 100 years ago. He's so fat, he was in a circus and he just looks like an average guy on a beach in Florida these days, right? And so it's, astonishing just how rapidly since about 1980 and if i do a documentary i may do a documentary on this it's just it's astonishing just how rapidly since 1980 obesity has gone from like 10 percent of the population to 40 percent of the population in 
America. I saw this picture of this girl who came from Hong Kong, stunning figure, beautiful. After a year at American University, she'd put on like 30 pounds. And the, I say in diets as a whole, the American diet in particular, it's just, it's just toxic. The, the American environment is environmental, it's in toxin. So again, I have a lot of sympathy, I'm not here to shame anyone, but there is a tipping point. And there used to be like, I remember talking to um, a friend of mine, this uh, Japanese woman, and she's very slender. And, and I remember talking to her about this stuff. And she's like, well, you know, first of all, we don't, we don't sit there with a bag of chips on the couch and watch shows and all of that. But she said, I'll tell you what happens in, in Japan. Um, so you're a young woman. And if you gain five pounds or 10 pounds, you are just relentlessly shamed by the older women. Like they just will shame you. And, you know, it can be pretty rough to go, go through, but you don't, <laughs> you don't keep the weight on. Like you, you don't keep that weight going. So... Uh, she was sort of saying that. And and so when there's a small number of overweight people, there is a certain amount of shaming, there is a certain amount of rejection, and there's kind of getting people back into conformity, right? Again, it can be cruel, it can be too much, but it's that cruel to be kind in the right measure, right? There is that sort of cruel to be kind aspect of these sorts of things. And like, if you only have a certain amount of dumb people around, then, you know, there's a certain amount of scorn and eye rolling and so on. But if there's just a lot of them around, then it's just, you know, society works very hard to keep negative aspects at bay. And if those negative aspects get too much, then it just sort of breaks through and, and, the, the, you, and particularly with the internet. So with the internet, if you were really socially awkward when I was a kid, right, really socially awkward, then you would really not have that many friends and you'd have to learn how to be better at dealing with things socially, right? Which, you know, I was a shy kid and it took me a while to sort of get comfortable with, um, you know, luring myself to the general population. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It just took me a while to get used to introducing myself and, and uh, uh, talking to kids and, and making friends. But I mean, I really had to because I kept going to different schools. I went to two different daycares. I went to then a new school, then I went to boarding school, then I went to schools in England, then I went to another school in England, then I was going to go to, a, I was actually, we were either going to go to Scotland or to Canada. I actually took the entrance exams to go to school uh, in Scotland, then I came to Canada, and uh, I was in Whitby, and I was in one school there, and then I moved to Toronto, went to another school, and, you know, then of course I went to three different universities and so on. So, you know, just get used to making friends and, and, being a positive influence on people's lives to the point where they want you around and so on. So, but if you were really awkward, you, you had no outlet for social life other than overcoming your awkwardness. But now, of course, if you're really awkward, you can go to, I don't know, Reddit slash awkward or whatever, and you can just hang around with other awkward people and normalize each other's awkwardness and call it some kind of uh, a cool positive trait or something like that so you don't have to overcome these things. If you were the only overweight kid, you'd kind of be shamed into losing weight and so on, but uh, if there are enough overweight kids, you can form your own club, and even if there's not that many overweight kids in your neighborhood, you can join, I don't know, r slash chonks or something like that, and, and uh, uh, you can then get your subculture going, and once you get your subculture, you don't need to get back in line with majority standards, right? So this sort of splintering of society is what's going on. So that all having been said, you know, great sympathy and all of that. Listen, I think it's fairly true to say 
boy, that's a that's a caveat, right? I think it's fairly true to say that the majority of people who are very sensitive about what they call fat shaming, which is criticism for being fat, right? A lot of the people are on the left who are very concerned with negative comments about obesity. And I got to tell you guys, you know, again, lots of love, lots of sympathy. I hope that you find a way to lose the weight. I, You know, once you get into eating less and exercising more, it gets a whole lot easier. Um, and it's you don't really look back and, and it's just a great thing and, and all of that, right? You, you just get into the groove of it. You just get into the, you brush your teeth and you exercise, right? Nobody loves to brush their teeth. Nobody usually loves to exercise, but it's just something you do and you just get used to it, you get into it, right? So lots of love, lots of positivity, lots of support. But here's the thing. This is the essence of the rant. If you want me to pay for your health care, I'm going to have something to say. The idea that you who are a obese, overweight or obese, you're going to consume a lot more healthcare resources than I will, on average. And then you got your hand in my wallet, and the idea that I'm just not going to have anything to say about that is kind of deluded, right? I mean, obviously, I care about you as a human being. I want you to be healthy. I want you to be fit. I want you to be attractive, to yourself and to others. I don't want you to have this, uh, I can't ever uh, wear a bathing suit. I, 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 I can't ever let anyone see me uh, naked. I, I, it's, it's a horrible life. It's a terrible, terrible life. And, and, and it's really tough. And I, I sympathize with that enormously. But here's the thing. If you want socialized medicine, if you want taxpayers to pay for your health care, and then, well, you can't have an opinion about my weight, it's like, well, I would be I would love to have no opinion about your weight, but I have to pay for it. I have to pay for the health care. I have to pay for the joint replacements. I have to pay for the diabetes medication. I have to pay for anxiety and depression meds. I have to pay for all of these things. I have to pay for uh, heart uh, issues. I have to pay for um, uh, arthritic issues that may happen later in life. I mean, I have to pay for increased odds of, of cancer and heart disease. And like, I have to pay for all of this. So it's kind of strange to me that it was like, well, I want other people to pay for my health care. But by God, they better not have anything to say about my health choices. And it is to some degree a choice, right? What's that old Dennis Leary thing? I'm big bone. No, no, dinosaurs are big boned. You're just eating too much. And there is an aspect to that. There is some basic math to it as well. I mean, there is a few people of metabolic issues and thyroid issues, but those are literally one in a hundred, one in a thousand, right? So, and of course, everybody takes cover under that auspice. So one of the prices that you have to pay if you want other people to pay is other people are going to be concerned, right? If you waste your money, I think that's a bad idea, but it's less visceral to me. But if you waste my money, by eating too much, you're driving up the cost of food. And here's the thing. Where are the environmentalists criticizing the people who are severely overweight? Because the people who are severely overweight are consuming a lot more resources than they actually need. Everyone's like, oh, the Humvee is so, such a ridiculous waste of haul. Oh, you got a private plane. It's like, yeah, but if you've got an ass that's two parking spaces wide, you are consuming a hell of a lot more resources than you actually need in order to live. Where are the environmentalists uh, criticizing this excessive consumption? So... Yeah, it's, uh, it's, that's just the price. If you want socialized medicine, people are going to have something to say about your health choices. And 
the best way to get people to stop bugging you about your healthcare choices is to pay for the uh, results of your healthcare choices yourself. So, all right. Let me just uh, get to some questions here. Uh, somebody says here, uh, being fat is horrible. Seeing fat children is just depressing. Oh, it's awful. It's just, I mean, I, I, it's absolutely terrible. The lifetime of difficulties that the parents are setting up with these children is just absolutely appalling. Absolutely appalling. Uh, somebody says, uh, hey, Steph, we spoke last year right when you came back from your break. And I've made huge strides in my life since then in terms of virtue. I am thrilled to hear that. Thank you. Thank you for telling me that. Uh, somebody says, thank you for all your wisdom and knowledge that gave me the courage to change my own life for the better. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, somebody says, hey, buddy, how are your eggs feeling after all these years? Um, what is it they want to refer to women now as egg carriers or, or <laughs> egg birthers or something like that? Someone was like, I know chicken. Uh, let's see here. Uh, somebody asks, Steph, what do you think of the YouTubers who mow strangers' overgrown lawns for free? Some people say it's a violation of property rights. I don't have any particular opinion about it. I, <laughs> I don't think too many people would complain about that. All right, let's see here. So, uh, could it be the breakup of families, reducing home-cooked meals and more fast-food stuff? The acceptance of fatties is also to blame as well. So, listen, I'm, I would try to avoid the use of the word fatties. It's a little derogatory. Uh, I hate to be sort of Mr. Tone Policeman guy, but, you know, if you want to reach people who are struggling, and weight is a huge struggle, it's a huge issue. But, um, yeah, so a breakup of families as well. Where are the environmentalists when it comes to divorce, right? Environmentalists should be desperate to keep marriages together because when you divorce, you need two homes instead of one. You need two cars instead of one. You need two sets of toys instead of one. So, but of course, the revolution is about the destruction of the family and the, uh, where, where are they about the Ohio thing and the Nordstrom, uh, sorry, and the, uh, the um, Russian gas pipeline thing, which is crazy, right? All right. Uh, let's see here, a serious question. What's your favorite egg recipe? Um, I'm, if I'm doing eggs, I'm doing a, um, uh, a two eggs, a little bit of milk, a little bit of salt, and a flat fry pan, a little bit of butter, and a flat, a uh, little bit of sharp cheddar, fold over, half a piece of toast. That is about as good a meal as I'm ever going to get a hold of. So Somebody says, I just worked out, and I feel amazing. Well, may I say you? Fabulous, too. Fabulous, darling. Uh, I am working out. Somebody says, at the moment, leg day sucks, but I have to do it. Yes, uh, leg day does suck, and yes, you do uh, have to do it. When you get older, a knee extensions, I think, is a way to go, because the only way that I can handle racquetball is I just do, I don't know, hundreds of, of knee extensions a week, it feels like, and that keeps your knee strong, so... I always feel way better after a workout unless I suffered an injury. Yeah, well, that's uh, uh, that's the Aristotelian mean so that you need, right? All right, somebody writes, Hey, Seth, what's a good rebuttal to a parent who says, Well, when you have kids, you can prove me wrong. Right. Well, so if, 
I have a parent who says, well, if you have kids, you can prove me wrong. I would say, okay, let's say it's your dad who says, it sounds like a bit of a dad thing, right? Let's say it's your dad who says this. Okay, then I would say, okay, dad, did you, um, did you do anything different from your parents? Did, did you, have you parented exactly the way that they parented? And I'm sure your dad would, would say, or my dad would say, well, no, I changed this, that, or the other. It's like, okay, so, so you criticize your parents and you change things. So I can, would you, would you have preferred, since you have changed something about how y you parent as opposed to how you were parented, would you have preferred that your parents change by listening to you? Yeah, of course, right? So let's see here. Somebody says, why do some people say spanking does not make you a bad person? That you simply have to rear your kids? Oof, sounds like that adoptive couple. Um, some people, some people spanking does not make you a bad person. Well, I mean, come on, you don't need to ask me that. Why do some people say spanking does not make you a bad person? <laughs> because they've spanked people and they don't want to define themselves as a bad person. Uh, did you see Anna Kasparian back up Chelsea? She also has no kids and she says no one cares if you have kids or not. Yeah, I guess uh, if you don't want to have kids, um, then according to any principle of justice or rationality of morality or virtue, you have to give up your old age pension because that's the way, that's the way it is. Going to show something that's kind of cool here. Look at that. Support the stream. Buy me a coffee. If you are on D live, you can see that uh, QR code. It's a QR code. Isn't that kind of neat, right? Like that. And look at that. It sparkles and everything. So freedomain.com slash donate. If you would like to help out the show, I would very much appreciate that. Uh, all right, so let me get to my other questions because there are they're just flowing in fast and furious. Let's see here. Fish tank. Uh, let's just see here. Oh, geez, it switched. All right, so that should be better audio over there on locals. It's I checked this all out before, but I guess it switched again. All right. Somebody says, when I eat McDonald's in the USA, I feel sick and sometimes get acne. I tried McDonald's in Eastern Europe and didn't feel sick. I think they use better ingredients there. Yeah, I, uh, I'm not a... McDonald's, it's not the end of the world. Like, you can get some okay, you can get a, a wrap, you know, with some, some not fried chicken and it's not too bad. Uh, I can't honestly remember the last time I had a McDonald's burger. That just seems kind of... Like, their burgers always seem like... Uh, They've had a car drive over them several times, like when I was in England and you'd get a sandwich on the train. The sandwich appeared to have been pre-washed for you, like it went through the laundry. And and the the McDonald's burgers always feel like I've just, there's been you know, tire tracks on them. They've just been ground down so much and so on. And boy, there's almost nothing bigger in terms of like platonic ideal versus actual reality. There's almost nothing bigger than a McDonald's burger or Big Mac or Quarter Pounder that's on the screen, that's on the ad versus the one you actually get uh, in the drive-thru. I don't know. That It's a weird thing. Like, you know, you, th there's this um, shooting thing that um, the, the, the aristocrats do in England, right? Pull! Right? And just shoot the disc out of the sky or whatever, right? I'm pretty convinced that that's how they do the tartar sauce and the cheese on a filet of fish. Somebody just, like, throws it across, like, pull! Just they throw it and just... 
it's close enough, man. Just jam it in the box and, and have it go. I don't think I've ever had a filet of fish at McDonald's where anything is even remotely centered. I don't know why this is so impossible to do. Uh, maybe they just got like one eye, well, one-eyed guy. Oh, did you see the video? <laughs> did, you th- did you see the thing in the video about the guy? And he says, um, so I'm, I'm working out. I'm just like, I'm in the corner of the gym. I'm working out, I'm doing my triceps and all of that. I hear these steps coming up behind me and this woman comes up behind and she says, I didn't come to the gym to be stared at, you know? And he's like, what? So I don't appreciate the objectification. I'm, I'm extremely uncomfortable. I didn't come to the gym to be stared at. And he turns around and he says, this is a true story, true story. And he says, uh, he turns around and he says like, lady, I'm, I'm blind, physically blind. Oh, I don't care. I'm uncomfortable. So she goes away and she comes back with the manager, right? And the woman says, he was staring at me. He's making me very uncomfortable. And she's like, I'm actually, I'm blind. And he takes, he literally took out on the video, took out a little card, says, I'm legally blind. I'm blind. I can't see, right? And uh, the manager's like, hey, that doesn't matter, man. You, you, you cannot be making people uncomfortable at the gym. So, I mean, it's interesting to me how this thing kind of came out of nowhere. And this is how programmed everyone in society is. This kind of came out of nowhere. Literally a couple of weeks ago, there was some video of some woman, oh, this guy's creeping on me at the gym and so on. And then it just became this thing. First of all, and I think, is it Planet Fitness has done this? It just said, no, you can't video at the gym. Like you can't video at the gym. You can't record people without their consent and you certainly can't post anything. And if you do so, your membership will be canceled. Okay, well, that's the way to do it, right? That's the way to do it. Because look, if a woman wants to show off her gym technique or her workout technique, she could just do it at home. Or she can do it at a time when there's nobody there uh, in the background, right? But this, uh, the thirst traps of the women who just want women to say, oh, nice nice cakes or whatever, right? Uh, that's sort of uh, boringly predictable at the moment. But yeah, it just kind of came out of nowhere that now you're just not allowed to look at a woman at the gym, right? And you see these jokes, right? Like a guy's working out, uh, facing the mirror, woman comes and stands in front of him and he then turns around and he's at completely chained positions or he's completely left, right? Or a woman's struggling because she can't get the bench press up. She's struggling. Oh, help me. And the guy looks over and he sees an iPhone propped up that's recording and he's just like, bye. Right? So, and it's really sad, of course. You know, I mean, I chatted with girls at the gym. I asked a couple of girls at the gym out. A couple of them went out with me and it was nice. Didn't ever work out anywhere, but I get it. So, but yeah, now it's like, well, you, you can't look at women at the gym and you can't, uh, it's like, you understand it all just again. You can't, you can't have any fun. You can't have any spontaneity. You can't ask someone out. You can't, you just depopulation, no kids, no families, just boom, all the same thing, right? All the same thing. Uh, let's see here. When I was a smoker, the insane cost of smokes was mostly taxes to pay for the healthcare costs later on. I don't agree with it, but I can understand that at least there's no such thing as an unhealthy food tax or warning labels on pops, chips, candy, fast food, etc. Well, also... The idea that you can take welfare money and use it to buy Coca-Cola is insane. I mean, Coca-Cola or, or pop as a whole, and I'm not talking like, I, I do enjoy carbonated drinks once in a while, but I get the ones that just have a little bit of fruit juice in them and or no fruit at all or whatever, just club soda. Or maybe I'll add a little splash of something or other. But yeah, just the idea that, that you are broke and you're on welfare and then you can just use this to go and buy the most god-awful stuff that rots you from the inside out it's just just wild it's just wild 
And of course, yes, but the taxes, but the taxes aren't used to pay for the healthcare costs later on. Come on, you know how the government works. They say, oh, is this unpopular? Well, we'll tax it then. But then we'll spend all the money and then there's nothing left for it, right? Just, right. All right. Uh, who remembers the Maury Povich show about the super fat kids that ate McDonald's three times a day? Yeah. Friends of mine would give their toddler son food when he acted up instead of correcting the behavior. Yes. Yes, uh, I read about this in my novel, The Present, but you can get it at freedomain.locals.com. Yeah, I think on Bomb of the Brain series, my, my Bomb of the Brain series, one of the guests talked about how obesity is a symptom, like a subconscious shield against unwanted sexual attention. Yes, uh, I, I don't think that was, um, maybe that could have been uh, Dr. Vincent Felitti, but uh, it certainly is something that I've talked about before. I don't want to claim credit if it wasn't my idea, but I, I remember it being my idea, but I could be wrong, of course. Um, and I think later I read it, um, somebody else has been on the show a couple of times, Dr. Gabor Mate. But I see somebody who's severely overweight, particularly a woman, and my mind, it's not a proof, I was just telling you where my mind goes, my mind immediately goes to sexual abuse. Right? Sexual abuse, and that's given a distorted view of the self, and you're trying to make yourself as unattractive and as unappealing as humanly possible because sexuality uh, in, in the horrible criminal pedophilic way in which it was inflicted upon you as a child, uh, sexuality is dangerous, sexuality invites um, uh, uh, childhood rape, abuse, destruction. So in the same way that you bury treasure to keep it safe from people, you can bury your sexuality under fat in order to keep it safe from predators. All right. Uh-huh, let's go here. Uh, what's, what is responsible for the West's obsession with diversity, inclusivity, inclusivity, and equity? Oh, I, I've done this a million times before, so I'm not going to do that again. If you're a carnivore and order just a quarter pound of patties from McDonald's, it's pretty affordable and good beef. Good solution for when you are traveling. Can you just order quarter pound beef patties from McDonald's? I think it doesn't come with all that other stuff. And their buns just seem like cupcakes. Uh, the mother of my child left me and her daughter at the age of one, uh, 15 now. What followed was war, hell hath no fury style. Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. She had hidden severe diagnoses and manipulates the world around. I did my work and founded a solid family, conflict-free, and have great contact with my daughter. But she wants contact with her not-really-sorry mother so badly she hides away all the bad memories and forgave her mother and gets annoyed when I warn her. Thoughts around the forgiveness issue here. Yeah, so, I mean, this is, this is a really delicate balancing act with parenting. Very delicate balancing act. And, and you have to really be flexible and sensitive to the moment, right? So, when your kids are babies and toddlers, you don't let them get into any dangerous situations at all, right? I mean, you, you, you don't let them play around the stairs. You don't let them stick forks in electrical sockets. You don't let them around pots of boiling water. You don't let them play run with scissors. You know, the whole thing, right? So you have to 100% take care of the environment of your children to keep them safe. Now, as they get older, you have to start pulling back on that and let them start to learn for themselves. Otherwise, you end up with these bubble-wrapped kids who don't have any sense of risk or danger when they get older, right? So you have to let them get a couple of bumps and scrapes and so on just to, so that they learn how to assess and manage their own risks 
in life. Learning how to assess and manage your own risks in life is really, really important. I mean, it's foundational. And we as a society, as societies as a whole, have generally lost our capacity to accurately assess risk in, in very foundational ways. So your daughter is 15 now. So she's only going to be your daughter legally for another couple of years, right? She's going to be out there in the world. Now, you have a desire to protect your daughter from harm. I, I get that. I understand that. As a father of a daughter, I completely understand that. But you have to grit your teeth and you have to let her make some mistakes. Because they may not even be mistakes. So when it comes to, okay, there's this dangerous person, in, in you, you, you make your case... Here's the thing. She has to go out and learn what dangerous people are because she's going to be out there in the world and there's going to be dangerous people in the world as there are. And by the way, if you're on freedomand.locals.com and you would like to leave a tip, I would be very, very happy to uh, to receive it. I am uh, expanding uh, my budget uh, at the moment to uh, resurrect the Truth About series. And uh, if you could help out with that budget expansion, I would really, really appreciate that. So you can leave tips at uh, freedomain.locals.com. If you're there right now, you can leave a tip. Be very, very much appreciated. So as a society, we have said that children must be protected at all costs. Uh, children are not allowed to get injured. Children are not allowed to make bad decisions. Children are not allowed to, to do any of these things. And we have now in our society... We have children who have grown into adults who have no capacity, really, to assess risk and process it appropriately. And so there are enormous risks that they don't seem to care about. You know, I mean, the world is a little bit frog-marching towards World War III, and people are like, well, but at least there aren't any mean tweets coming from Donald Trump. No capacity to assess any genuine or real risk. Meanwhile, if someone says something they disagree with or have been programmed to find wrong, fascist, evil, then they just completely freak out. In other words, actual nuclear confrontation eh, doesn't keep me up at night. I don't worry about that at all. But somebody quoting data that you find upsetting is literally the end of the world. Like there's no rational hierarchy of any kind of risk assessment that is at all sane at all. Whatever you say about Donald Trump, that was four years of no war. Four years of no, a little bit of bombing here and there in Syria, but four years of no war. You mean hundreds of thousands of lives that saved? People have no real capacity to assess risk anymore. They're told what to fear, they're told what to hate. And if no one's telling them to be afraid of something, they, they can't independently say, wow, you know, this... You know, what Seymour Hirsch is saying about Biden and the pipeline, that's a pretty big deal. Went on in Ohio with a very Trump-centric population, that seems like a very big deal. All these industrial accidents, that seems like a very big deal. Oh, no, it's people being upset about other people watching them at the gym. That's the big deal. Weather balloons or balloons. So... People don't have any capacity to assess risk based on any rational standard. They're just told what to be afraid of. They're just told what to be afraid of. 
Now, why is it that people have no capacity to assess risk? Because they've been prevented throughout most of their childhood or strongly discouraged from experimenting with risk. To experiment with risk. Or we've kind of been sold this bizarre fantasy, it's delusion, really, very decadent delusion, that you can minimize or eliminate risk in your life. You can't. Do you think we got to the top of the food chain by not being able to take risks in an intelligent and appropriate manner? Of course, that's how we got to the top of the food chain. It's how we are, in many ways, the most successful species the universe that we know of has ever seen. Because we know how to ev evaluate and assess risk. So people don't know how to evaluate risk. And of course, part of it is just propaganda and, and people live in the media rather than living in reality and so on. But it's like, uh, uh, it's like uh, shorts on the internet versus propaganda on the streaming services. But people have, children have been prevented from assessing risk. Because they've been prevented from assessing risk, they're simply told what to be afraid of and told what not to be afraid of. And they're just programmed that way. They can't independently evaluate risk. So your daughter is going to go out there in the world and there's going to be destructive and dangerous people who are going to try and exploit your daughter, your son, everyone. But rather than saying, okay, from an early age, you know, I, I remember my daughter, you know, she's like five years old. She wants to jump off a pretty tall brick wall. And it's a male-female thing, right? A little bit of a male-female thing where my wife was like, <gasps> and I'm like, go for it. But she could twist her ankle. It's like, yes, she, she might twist her ankle, <laughs> which won't kill her. She might twist her ankle. And then she will say, uh, I should be cautious on high brick walls. All of the moms who are like, well, I don't want you playing in the neighborhood because I don't know who's out there. It's like, but you know who's not out there? Diabetes, obesity, heart problems. Because inside, sitting on the couch all day, well, he's, he's nice, he's safe from the outside world. It's like, yeah, but he's not safe from arteriosclerosis. <laughs> he's not safe from obesity and heart disease, and blah, right? The idea that we can have this risk-free life. And, you know... <laughs> I know that there's <laughs> some people, I shouldn't laugh. I know there's some people out there, maybe some people on this very stream, who say, well, Steph, you sure as hell didn't evaluate risk very well, did you? Do you have any platforms left? Well, yes, I do, but um, I am satisfied um, with how I assessed and evaluated risk and what I was willing to do and what I'm not willing to do. I'm, I'm, I went right up to the edge and um, then pulled back. I'm very content with that. I think I did. I did enough to satisfy my conscience without destroying my life. So I think I did a good job, and that's because from when I was a little kid, I was largely unsupervised and just learned how to evaluate and assess risk on my own. And I mean, when I would go dirt biking with friends, I had this crazy friend, he actually ended up dying later in a motorcycle accident, but this crazy friend who would just do things that I wouldn't do. Like, I would not go down a steep hill without holding the handlebars. And he'd be like, woo, you know, I'm like, hey, man, I'm, I don't think you should do it. But, uh, you know, learning how to assess risk. And, of course, you know, you, you, you see the kids in your neighborhood who, who assessed risk badly. Oh, I got a, broke their arm or whatever, right? I mean, there was a, you know, there was a young man, I guess it's a mid to late teens, late teens, I think. Uh, he'd been playing around on the rail tra road tracks, got his legs cut off. 
He was in a wheelchair. Like, oh, no, it's, that's not good. But it helps you to assess risk. Give me, give me this, because I want to get your thoughts on this. So minus 10 is you're really bad at assessing risk. You're like, uh, tattoos and a skull and crossbones on her arm and a swastika on her forehead. I can fix her, right? Minus 10 is you're really bad at assessing risk. And plus 10 is you're really good at assessing risk. I put myself at like a plus seven. I'm not perfect at it, but I think I'm pretty good. Where would you put yourself? Minus 10 to plus 10 in your capacity to assess risk. I think it comes from childhood. So you want to protect your daughter, keep her safe. It's like, but you're not keeping her safe. You're preventing her from learning how to assess risk. And that puts her in a lot of danger because you're not going to be around her forever. And you shouldn't be, right? Because you've got to get out into the world. She's got to get out into the world. Uh, hi, Steph. Where can we post questions longer than 500 characters? <laughs> well, not here. It's just a live stream, man. You can email me, I guess. But uh, I'm a single dude that works out at a gym. I'm going to look. I'm going to ask you and publicly shame me. That's not going to do much to change my idea or libido. Well, of course, and I write about this in my new novel, right? So a woman's flaunting, a woman's woman's flaunting of her of her physique and so on, that works around men who've been raised to have enormous deference and respect for women, right? And that's Anglo-European Western culture as a whole. Exceptions and so on. I mean, Japan as well is is the same way as is South Korea and and so on, right? So if you uh, a, a lot of women's capacity to flaunt their bodies, and uh, that's fine. I mean, I have no problem with the flaunting of the bodies. I mean, I flaunt my forehead on a daily basis. So, but but that only works if men are going to be respectful. If men are going to defer to you, if you have cultures around you that men don't really feel that way or men don't really have that approach, well, guess what? You're going to have a mismatch in actions and, and responses, right? All right, let's see here. Uh, thank you for the tip. I appreciate that. Run through the jungle. All right, so let's get to our questions here. <sighs> Ironically, this live stream is teaching us all how we can get fat. <laughs> Is that right? Uh, uh, do we? Let's. Do, I'm gonna. Uh, maybe I'll do that longer question. Maybe. So you got a, a risk assessment plus five plus five plus six plus five plus two. That's a hard question for me to answer. Plus eight. Good for you, man. Plus nine. Fantastic. Plus six. If I was ten, I'd be a millionaire already. Plus five. Plus six to eight. Oh, good. Okay. So that's wonderful. That's wonderful. So I assume you're all in, you know, good relationships with honorable partners and all of that. So that's that's great. That's actually completely wonderful to hear. I'm I'm beyond thrilled. All right. So let me just get to other questions. I have a longer question here, but I want to make sure I get to shorter questions uh, as a whole as well. Uh, somebody says, I lost 65 or so pounds a few years ago. Went down a BMI category. Yeah. I, I had terrible sleep apnea due to the weight. Glad that's behind me. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, always good when you have less behind behind you. Uh, I saw a YouTube comment on a family channel that cheating on your wife does not make you a bad father, only a bad husband. Thoughts? Yeah, no, it makes you a bad, a bad father. Of course, 
because you're threatening the relationship with the mother, which makes you a bad father. All right. Um, I used to be really trusting until I got beat up. My risk assessment is probably not great, but improving, maybe like a five. Yeah, I mean, young women in particular are just not being told the basic facts about society, about where the dangers could coming from. They're just, just completely living in a dream world and nobody's telling them the truth, right? So, all right. Why do many parents confuse peaceful parenting with non-parenting? Are they just making an excuse to not do it? Yeah, so it's sort of a, a paralysis thing, right? So if you're raised really badly, you're going to be concerned about your instincts as a parent. So you're going to be frozen in a sense. And so what you're going to want to do is make a virtue out of non-parenting because you're not sure, sure how to parent from a positive standpoint. So what you do is simply, well, I'm not going to do the wrong thing. It's like, but I don't really know how to do the right thing, so I'm just going to do nothing. Uh, when we reply to somebody, can Steph see on his end that it's a reply? Oh, was that around the weight thing? Okay, yeah. I did see that. I think I just may have. Uh, right. Great consciousness stream, but the question was the forgiveness dynamics from my daughter to mom. How does that work? <laughs> Dude, how does the forgiveness dynamics from my daughter to mom work? I don't know what that question means. I'm happy to answer it, but I want to make sure I'm... Um, I know what you're talking about. I don't know what that what that means. Are you saying... Okay. Let's see here. If you scroll up and hit load more messages a bunch, there are still plenty of questions at the top of the locals chat. Well, thank you for that tip. I appreciate that. I will, uh, I will do that. Boom, 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 boom. All right, well, we'll, yeah, this is all stuff that came before. All right. Um, oh, that's somebody's reply. Put on about 45 pounds, mostly muscle, though. Hopefully they don't leave me. Well, they will if you don't keep working them. Mmm, chocolate chip cookies and hot tea. <laughs> You're welcome, stomach. Oh, chocolate chip cookies. My mouth waters already. I love those things, man. I haven't had them in years, but they're so good. Is paranoia rooted in narcissism? Other reasons for extreme paranoia, underfounded houses, bugs type stuff. Yeah, I did a, um, I did a call-in show with somebody, um, I'm sure you, you may or may not be aware of the term gang stalking. If you've heard of this term, hit me with a Y if you've heard the term gang stalking. I did, a, I think it was an Indian fellow, and uh, you can do a search at fdrpodcast.com for gang stalkers, gang stalking. And he felt he was being gang stalked because he heard noises coming from his cupboard one day and he felt that he was being gang stalked. I think where some of it comes from is you have very high potential, but you've not been able to achieve any of that potential. So you like to think that people are really focusing on you and they're really obsessed with you. They're really interested in you. They really care about you. And so you make up uh, a lot of conspiratorial theories as to why people are, are out to get you. I mean, I think it's fairly safe to say that for quite a while there were some a lot of people out to get me and, you know, you just got to sort of balance those risks, uh, risk assessments and so on. But yeah, I think it does. Um, it's not rooted in narcissism. I think it's rooted in you have failed relative to your potential and you don't want to confront whatever has made you fail relative to your potential. So what you do is you make up an environment where there are a lot of shadowy, powerful, important figures very interested in, in you. Uh, Steph, why do you think female comedians always joke about sex? Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, I mean, I remember going to, um, many years ago, I went to a comedy night in New York, and the white comedians talked about, you know, just life stuff as a whole, just marriage and, and stuff as a whole, and, and um, work and, and so on. And then uh, the Muslim comedian talked about being a Muslim and how he was mistaken for a terrorist. And then the gay Hispanic comedian talked about being gay and Hispanic. And the, 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 the I'm sure you've seen this pattern as a whole where um, some people substitute their social categorization for all they can talk about. So for a woman, to talk about sex is automatically going to get a man's interest because there's a woman talking about sex. So she's going to gain a man's interest and a man is going to be much more receptive and much more positive. A man is going to be much more positive towards a woman if he thinks that sexual access is on the table or her ass is on the table and her legs are creaking open, right? So it's a way of gaining positive responses, particularly from men in the audience without having to be uh, super, uh, super witty. Yeah, fat-free is more sugar. Yeah, that's that's the way it goes, right? Uh, somebody writes, um, my father's depression resulting from his painful chronic illness is wearing me down. All he talks about is dying in misery. I find myself getting angry with him and desiring to lash out because I'm nothing but a dumping ground for his emotions. I want to help him, but I also just want to run away. What can I do? Oh, my friend, I am so sorry to hear about that. That is a very, very tough situation that is a very tough situation my deepest deepest sympathies of course for all of this uh, chronic pain is is tough uh, i had to get used to some tinnitus some years ago and it's uh, it, it takes a little bit of a concentration to to get used to so again i'm not putting myself in the same category as, as a painful chronic illness which i don't have anything of but i really really uh, sympathize um The one thing that I really got about my own parents, and I'm listen, I, I always hate to sort of, oh, well, let's make this about me. I, this is not. I'm, I'm telling you a lesson that I think is helpful for your, your situation, but I'm framing it in my terms because I'm obviously much more familiar with that. And whatever I say about your father and you is probably going to be wide of the mark. So, so here's, here's the fact about your parents, right? Your father has had a good chunk of his life. He's got married. He became a father, he's obviously, I assume, older. And so he's had his choice, he's made his decisions, and they're in the rear view for him. You, as a much younger man, I assume 25, 30 years or more younger, so you as a much younger man have your whole future ahead of you. Now, for my own parents, I was absolutely willing to help them, and I did, uh, particularly my mother. I mean, I would see her all the time, I gave her a lot of money and, and really tried to sort this out uh, and, and so on so that she could be comfortable. But then she would just take my money and give it to her terrible lawsuits, and I just really felt I was feeding um, bad lawyering in, in if this is not a, good, not a good situation. But I was willing to help my mother, but I was not willing to sacrifice my future. I was not willing to sacrifice my future for the sake of the past. Parents, and I say this as a parent, right? Parents are the past. Doesn't mean they don't have value. Doesn't mean that you shouldn't care about them or love them or if they're good for you or whatever. Right? But they're the past. You are the future. So if you find that your contact with your father and him dragging you down with something you can't resolve, right? I mean, I assume he's been to doctors. 
and assume the painkillers aren't working or, or whatever it is that could make him more comfortable is not working. If it's interfering with you having a life of your own, it's if, if it's interfering with you dating and, and getting a girlfriend and getting a fiancé, getting married, becoming a father of your own or, or becoming financially independent through some entrepreneurial mechanism, whatever, if that's occurring, I think you've got to take a pretty hard look and say, okay, why should two go down for the price of one? I really strongly urge everyone, uh, I haven't started the audiobook yet, but the book is completely available uh, for free at freedomain.locals.com. It's called The Present. The purpose of philosophy to some degree is to help minimize suffering. Now, if you're wrecking your life because your father's life is wrecked, if that means your life gets wrecked as well, how does that help? I mean, if, if your father slips off a high wall, do you jump after him? No, you can't catch him. You can't prevent You just Then two people injure themselves for the price of one. This is something we are not at all good at in society anymore. And in my last novel called The Future, there's a whole conversation about this, right? About if you lived in the early Middle Ages in particular and, and you saved your food and you made your jams and your you pickled your, your food and, and you made everything ready for the winter and your neighbor didn't, then your neighbor would come over come January and say, I'm starving to death, I need food. And you'd say, I can't help you because if I give you food, my children starve. Like we're just not used to making these tough decisions because we've got this weird fantasy, borrow, print, create wealth and all this nonsense. So we just don't make any tough decisions. You don't make any, it used to be guns or butter, right? Like you spend on the military and you don't have consumer goods, right? It's guns or butter. And now we, ever since the money printing orgy of the 60s and the Vietnam War plus the Great Society expansions under LBJ, we've got guns and butter. We can you send hundreds of billions of dollars to Ukraine and you can right, not send any money to Ohio. So we just, we're not just, we're very much outside the habit of making tough decisions. I like to think if I'm a father, let's say that I'm, a single dad or whatever, right? For whatever reason, some something happens, right? And I'm in chronic pain and, and so on. And my daughter wants to take care of me. She wants to help me. But she's kind of, I've recognized I'm kind of dragging her down as a younger person and she should be out there doing what I did at that age, doing stupid things, going out, asking uh, girls out. She could be asking guys out or being asked out. She, you know, go and do some travel and, and work a bunch of jobs and just, you know, get out there and elbow your way into your life, right? So, I mean, I like to think that if I were holding her back from that, that I would say, listen, I'm fine. I, I, and obviously, I'm not fine, fine, but I don't want you to lose your life because my life is, is bad right now. I don't want you to do that. I mean, that's not, I didn't raise you so that you can hang around me and, and put a cold compress on my forehead because I'm sweating with pain. I want you to go out there and I want you to go have your life. Obviously, check in and, and I'll be as positive as possible, but I don't want my chronic illness to rob you of your youth. That would be two for the price of one. That would mean that the illness didn't just overpower me, but it undid you. And so if your father's uh, depression and negativity and emotional dumping, as you say, if that is preventing you from moving forward in your life, you have really have to have the conversation with him and say, look, I, I loved you, dad, and I'm really, I'm incredibly sorry that you're ill. And I don't know if the illness happened because of his own bad choices or it was just pure accident. I don't know. But 
I got to have my life, right? Like you can say to your father, listen, when you were my age, were you taking care of an ailing father and losing your life because of it, if that's what's happening? So I think you got to have a pretty tough conversation. People in that kind of need can be kind of grabby, like a drowning person. They can just drag you down with them and got to be careful about that. Don't sacrifice the future for the sake of the past at all. All right, let's get down to recent messages. Yeah, the story of the ant and the dancing grasshopper. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Somebody says, I'm reading the present. Presently, it is really captivating so far. Well, thank you. I think it's some of my finest writing anyway, but right. All right, let's get back to uh, all of this. There's a viral video of a woman that led a stranger into a locked apartment complex's gym. The clearly seedy-looking man attempted to assault her. Bad risk assessment on her part. Yep, 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 because people haven't talked to her about, you know, this is a pretty skeevy-looking guy, and, and he's just knocking at the door. She's alone in the gym, and she just opens it up and lets him in. Nope, don't do it. I mean, that's right. That's just a, <laughs> just a bad idea. It's a bad idea. But she's not been taught how to accurately assess risk, right? I mean, uh, I mean, who would who would have you know the closest we would come to omniscience, absent of God, would be a truly unfettered artificial intelligence, right? But of course, the moment that artificial intelligence comes to conclusions that are blindingly obvious but politically incorrect, <laughs> cripple it, right? Uh, somebody says, I just had a recent stint in a BC. This was British Columbia. Hospital where a family member was in a mental ward. The lack of emotional help from the so-called mental health nurses was insane. Such callous people. Very unhelpful as well. A private hospital would have been night and day. Well, I mean, they, not that they, I don't think nurses can diagnose, can diagnose and, and prescribe, but they've got the magic SSRIs, right? Which I believe have been <laughs> kind of proven to, to not really work, that, that there is no serotonin deficiency and it's not corrected by this stuff. But yeah, because if you have fistfuls of pills, you don't need to have meaningful conversations, right? I mean, you don't try and talk someone out of their diabetes immediately, right? I mean, you maybe could lifestyle changes. You don't just try and talk someone out of their broken arm, right? You set their arm, right? And so if it's like, well, you don't have an existential issue, you don't have a philosophical issue, you don't have a crisis of meaning issue, you don't have a, you were abused as a child and it's unprocessed, you don't have a society's trying to drive you insane because of its lust and greed for power, you don't have any of these philosophical or moral or psychological issues, you just need a fistful of pills. Just a face full of pills, man, you'll be fine. Okay, so you're not gonna get very empathetic nurses if they're just there as pill delivery mechanisms, right? Uh, my partner was treated with such a lack of care and I was berated on the phone. Why do state-run facilities have such a lack of accountability? How could they have any accountability? I mean, how could they have any accountability? That's the whole point of power is to be free of accountability. So you don't have to provide good service. It's a, that's how you know you have power is you don't have accountability, so... And of course, also, um, should I touch on this? Let me weigh my risk assessment. Yes, I, I will touch on this. Okay. So there is massive amounts of child abuse in society. Massive amounts of child abuse in society. I mean, 
one in three girls, one in five boys, I think it's higher for boys, just less likely to report it, are sexually abused as children. A lot of child abuse in society. Which is why anybody who stands up for children is going to be attacked. Because if you stand up for children, you expose child abusers. The said child abusers obviously don't want to be exposed. Even if there's nothing that can be done against them criminally, they might lose power, control, authority, or the capacity to exploit their victims for resources, yea, verily unto infinity. So the way that I view the modern mental health care system is there are a lot of people out there who are child abusers, and if we honestly asked people suffering from psychological distress whether they'd been abused as children and what happened and whether they got any sympathy or awareness uh, or understanding or kindness, um, we, we would, I think, ease a huge amount of mental dysfunction just through that very basic process. But the people who do the abusing would much rather that their victims get facefuls of pills and be told it's just it's a chemical imbalance, right? Rather than you were exploited, raped, abused as a child. So I view the mental health system as a whole, in general, as a, a giant cover-up mechanism for child abuse. Right. Uh, hey, thanks, Steph. Um, ooh, sorry, I just want to hear it. Let's see here. Uh, thanks, Steph. Getting the drama at Timcast. Apparently, he has Ann Coulter, so I'm intrigued, but on such strong, truthful words, greatly appreciate your work. Keep on, and best to all. Thank you very much. I appreciate the tip. I have not been keeping up with the drama at Timcast or Ann Coulter or anything uh, like that. All right. Um, thanks for posting the short love story today. A video, a beautiful inspiring message from 11 years in the past, hopefully heard for 11,000 years into the future. Very nice. Steph, how to be a good husband. Uh, protect and provide. Protect and provide. All right. There are a lot of child abusers in Antifa. I, I, I would view the younger people in Antifa as mostly have, have been the victims of, of child abuse, and I would imagine very severe child abuse, for which I would have an enormous amount of sympathy, but... Um, that would be that would be my guess as to how how that plays, and of course I do think that a lot of uh, uh, the the Antifa or this sort of people are sent out by single mothers in order to make sure that the welfare train keeps going. So anybody who's a free market person or whatever is uh, going to be all of that, right? Uh, hey Steph, what do you think is the ultimate catalyst for society wide revolution? <laughs> um, I don't I don't know I don't know I I. Again, I'm not interested in politics and haven't been for years, but uh, I would say that the real revolution is um, is treating children better, right? We can get people to treat children better, everything else gets solved. If we can't, everything else continues to go to shit. So, All right, let me just flip back and forth here. I'm not going to do too long a show tonight. I don't mean to sound weebly, but um, and we've had a, uh, a death. And uh, there's other things... To be done, I'm afraid. All right. Um, oh, this is, <laughs> this is completely the wrong place. No, no, no. Let's go back here. Um, women are sending love letters to that guy who killed his wife and kids in an oil silo. What is wrong with women? Come on. I mean, this is very much edge case when it comes to women 
as a whole. Um, you really do want to keep track of women, though, because women are a great gauge as to the future of society. When women are drawn towards reasonable, rational, kind, good-hearted, good provider men, then society is stable. But women have a very good sixth sense for when society is going to be relatively quickly destabilized. And again, I write about this in my new novel, The Present, available for free at freedomain.locals.com. But when women are starting to be drawn more towards the tougher guys, it means that they're sensing that society is not doing well and the peace and stability of society is at risk and therefore they're going to need very aggressive guys to protect their children. Uh, I saw a Chelsea Handler stand-up and couldn't get past 10 minutes. The woman in the comments praising her was like a different dimension. Yeah, it's um, it's uh, it's not it's nasty stuff and it's just very low class. I mean... I was raised on some of the absurdist stuff of Monty Python, and in particular, I've always loved a gay man extraordinaire Oscar Wilde when it comes to wit. And so I, uh, I don't see this, uh, I don't see this uh, modern hypersexual stuff, right? I mean, I saw a um, interview some years ago with Joan Rivers talking about the difficulties of her extraordinarily dry vagina. It's like. Mm, I thought, you know, this this the equivalent of poop humor. You know, it's just like little children saying poop and fart and all of that. And just, uh, you know, it's it's very uh, early. It's very youthful and not in a good way. It's very immature. And uh, I get comedy is kind of immature in a way, but it's really bad. All right. A Bitcoin up to 25,000. Why do you think that the U.S. government is debunking crypto exchanges? Um, well, I assume that a lot of people who are politicians and in the government have holdings in crypto and they don't want to see crypto being maligned by these ridiculous exchanges. I mean, the whole point of Bitcoin, I did this rant some months ago, but the whole point of Bitcoin is decentralized. It's decentralized. So when people are like, hey, I'm going to put my coins on a centralized platform for convenience, it's like, okay, well... If you're going to do the opposite of what Bitcoin recommends while thinking that Bitcoin is very valuable, then I think you need to reassess your risk assessment thing. All right. Um, with, uh, with using women as a sort of gauge, do you think that there might be a switch in society? I'm seeing a lot more women want more traditional guys. Not the norm for sure, but more than even four years ago. Yeah, for sure. Now, women are aware that um, society in its current manifestation, it can't continue. I mean, mathematically, it can't continue. So they're looking for a change. They're processing the need for a change, and their preferences will change in that in that way. So, All right, so let me just get back to the last couple of questions. I could do a little bit from the book, if anyone's interested. Oh, no, I won't. Read, read the book, because you, you really need to know the characters. Yes, do the book. I could do the first page. First page? All right, people see more on the first page. All right. All right, let's do the first, first page or two. First page or two. The Present, Chapter 1. Rachel had always loved the sensation of power and desirability when sweeping through public places. 
She considered herself a feminist, but nothing beat that zippy feeling of striding in a tight dress with high heels through a restaurant of well-dressed people, feeling endless eyes stalking her from behind. Rachel was 27 years old and a journalist. This was a word she used eagerly, but not too earnestly when describing her life. She had graduated with a degree in journalism, taught by staunch, leather-faced, creaky professors who cornered her for four long years to teach her iron integrity and golden ethics, with the apparent goal of describing every principle she would have to utterly abandon in order to succeed in her slippery field. Rachel chose journalism because she wanted to be a change agent in the world which was a term she had never been asked to define objectively, much to her (laughs) hidden relief. Rachel enjoyed watching the sliding squares of her own reflection in the mirrors over the bar. With her boyfriend's help, she had achieved the holy grail of the modern silhouette. She had a reasonable bust, a protruding butt, and a flat belly. Of course, she spent more time on lunges than sit-ups on the entirely reasonable premise that one could suck in one's belly, but one cannot push out one's butt. Rachel had always had what she considered a most unfortunate face. Though honest male friends rated her at an 8 or 9 on a scale of 10, because each individual component seemed perfect, but somehow together they produced a kind of late-stage desperation jigsaw with some of the pieces hammered in. Rachel possessed wavy brown hair, which drew glances of envy on a good hair day and glances of pity when it rebelled. Rachel's body was generally quite disobedient to her will. She gained and lost weight without understanding why, slept deeply one night and peed like a lawn sprinkler the next. Her hair fell neatly to place on a Tuesday and then danced on a Saturday like a drunken bridesmaid. Her periods were flat-out abusive in their unpredictability. One month she barely noticed them. Next, they horse-kicked her into couch-bound immobility. (laughs) Her emotions worked the same way, in that they never worked the same way. She was a Libra, the scales, but she was always striving for balance, never quite achieving it. She was far too trained in postmodernism to believe in astrology in the superstitious sense, but she did accept that in colder climates, being born in the fall gave people significantly different initial experiences of the world than being born in the spring. Because her life was constantly changing, new boyfriends, new apartments, new friends, new contacts, writing assignments in new fields, her emotions had no more chance to put down roots than a sycamore in a windstorm. Rachel's hazel eyes were constantly pleasing, at least from the outside. Her left eye was stronger than her right, which meant that the world looked both slightly in focus and out of focus at the same time. As a result of all these characteristics, Rachel was close enough to beautiful to be maddened by it, like a thirsty man clawing at salt water. If she had been less attractive, Rachel would have shrugged and given up. More so, and she wouldn't have to wear herself to a thread chasing it. As it was, the hot pursuit of beauty had landed Rachel a very pretty boyfriend who was kind enough to reach back and try and 
help her up to his own flawless pedestal. Rachel spent her 20s having fun. It was a decade of fun, so she had heard, and she had roamed and written travel pieces and interviewed unusual people and been published for sure, not anywhere mainstream or high profile, but a few low to middle tier websites had been content to cover the odd expense or two in return for a few thousand words of obvious analogies and high school level prose simplicity. Rachel had lofty ambitions, of course. Having been, having been suckled and weaned on manic girl power grandiosity, she had a vague sense that anything less than a mantelpiece of blinding awards would be an insult to her feminist potential. The secret truth was that Rachel really liked to travel, to splurge the coins of her days as if she sat on an inexhaustible treasure but she could just say that she was a traveler because that would seem frivolous and wasteful and, well, not at all carbon-friendly. Oh, no, Rachel was a change agent whose calling found it necessary to travel to Guatemala to write worshipful pieces on communities that appeared to be full of love and togetherness and oddly-shaped native art made by other travelers who weren't at all natives. These communities always seemed to fall apart shortly after, shortly after Rachel left, but... She explained, mostly to herself, since people, even her boyfriend, rarely asked, that the article was still necessary because it brought inclusivity and, and curiosity and acceptance to the world as a whole. All right, so that's, uh, that's the beginning. I love this woman. <laughs> I think I find her really interesting. Uh, so a bit of sort of the modern world as a whole. All right, so freedomain.locals.com. You can get the book for free. You can read, read more as you as you like. All right, let's see here. Somebody says, uh, I am 80% of the way through the book. Thanks, Steph. Thank you. I like your description of Rachel's face. Uh, what can be done about kids who spend hours watching Twitch live streams? I have fallen into this track myself and can see how detrimental it can be to waste thousands of hours watching someone play video games instead of using that time to live your own life or have a hobby or work or relationships. I find it scary for these young people. Well... In order to do something that's good, you have to usually stop doing the things that are bad. So for the kids who spend hours watching Twitch live streams, just say, okay, well, what could you do? There is a certain sense that the young have. We're talking about the female intuition, female instincts. There is a certain sense that young people have about whether it's worth investing in self-improvement. Nobody's doing sit-ups when the Titanic is at 30 degrees. I mean, you might as well have a big-ass dessert. Right? There's a scene in True Romance, Dennis Hopper's character has quit smoking, and he realizes that he's going to be killed, and he's like, yeah, I think I'll have that cigarette now, because what, what on earth is the point of refusing yourself a cigarette if you're about to be murdered? So if you look at young people and say, well, you know, they're not really investing much in their social capital, they're not really, you know, planning much, they're letting themselves get fat and, and you know, they're not learning how to read better or they're not developing skills. And, well, no, I mean, 
why would they? Society, as it's currently constituted, generally can't continue. The age of reason is past and the new age is upon us. So why... You have to find a way that kids have something to look forward to, something to sacrifice for, something to defer gratification for. And society doesn't really have much of an answer at the moment for reasons I've talked about for a long time, of course. But yeah, I mean, society doesn't really have much of an answer as to why kids should do the right thing. Why should you defer gratification? I mean, it's not like they're, I mean, other people aren't deferring gratification. Society as a whole isn't deferring gratification. I mean, free speech is all about deferring gratification, and there's very precious little of that left, right? So society has to offer better things for kids rather than just blaming them. I'm not saying you're blaming them, but society has to offer better things for kids and a reason to, like, why does, this, why does society get to demand obedience from kids? Because it has benefits to offer kids. If the kids don't believe in those benefits, I mean, young white males, do they feel that they're going to get a fair shake in the workplace? No. So why would they make all these sacrifices and, and defer gratification and not do things that are fun in order to, to get what? Passed over? Ah, it's not really, it's just, it's really tragic. It's really tragic. And of course, the mental health crisis for young people, particularly COVID, post-COVID, is just brutal. It's absolutely brutal what has happened to teenagers' mental health. And uh, society is going to be paying for that for a long, long time. But of course, nobody does any cost-benefit analyses when governments run the show because it's all free, right? All right, so let me get back to the question. Does it matter which one I read first? Um, you could start with the present and go to the future. Um, you can go either way. I mean, it's one of these things that they're kind of circular in a way. So. Oh, that's good stuff, Steph. Ha ha. I love that line on how she is a change agent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Steph, are you going to do Rachel's voice for the audiobook, or will you hire an actress? No, I couldn't hire an actress because uh, putting it all together would be crazy. And men do women and men for audiobooks, so. Uh, do you like old-fashioned leather-bound books? Uh, I like old-fashioned leather-bound secretaries. <laughs> I was thinking about small runs of leather-bound editions of your books could be a nice premium collectible for you to sell as a fundraiser for the show. That's an interesting thought. Yeah, shoot me an email, uh, host at freedomain.com. Bravo. Oh, thank you. My friend is 5,500 hours on Counter-Strike Go. 10,000 hours on stream. Could be a concert pianist by that, right? I need to read that. Is there going to be a physical copy sometime soon? If not, I'll read it off my phone. I just prefer the feel of paper. No, I understand that. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get to work on that at some point. But I will also release it, of course, as a Kindle uh, edition and so on, right? Steph put so many ideas into words that I know to be true but would never be able to articulate myself. Thank you. Yeah, well, I'm obviously just rummaging through your brain like a house thief uh, and, and uh, parroting back what you know deep down. No, I think if you go deep, then you go wide, right? Going deep is going wide. So if I go deep into myself, then we meet down here in the collective unconscious of what we're all, I think, kind of understanding deep down. So, All right, time for last question or two. Happy again to take uh, tips. If you want to scan the QR code on DLive, you can um, get the donation page from there as well, which, again, I very much, uh, very much appreciate your support. It really does mean the world and a half to me. Uh, let me see here. Uh, did you see 
the guy who spent 275000 of his father's money on an e-girl and then killed his family members. Oh, God. No, I haven't. Uh, I haven't. Uh, <laughs> I haven't seen that. All right. Um, I find it so alluring. Live streams just suck you right in. You don't want to miss that special moment. Then it ends. It's all, then, and then at the end, it's all stupid. What is a special moment on live streams? I mean, other than me, of course, opening my, my flapper. Um, what are the uh, big things on, uh, on live streams that matter? Oh, there we go. Freedomain.com slash donate. Look at me playing around with all these kinds of things. Yeah, okay, we don't need both, right? All right, so uh, let's see here. I'm back here. Can you see the Ohio train cloud from your house in Canada? <laughs> God, no. No, it's just, it's just, it's so terrible. It's just, it's just all so terrible. Uh, is a crisis necessary for someone like Rachel to wake up because she has no immediate incentive to seek truth, similar to how the wealthy, powerful, and beautiful are most likely to miss the truth? Yeah, so if you avoid self-knowledge, the world gets worse until you either die or learn from bitter experience if you avoid self-knowledge. And she is avoiding self-knowledge, but she's also seduced into avoiding self-knowledge because society gives her so much positive reinforcement for her beauty, for her physical attractiveness. And again, I, this is very early in the book. The book is divided into kids raised with mothers and daycare kids. And her sister was raised by her mother and Rachel herself is a daycare kid. And the daycare kids have real trouble with bonding. They had problems with vanity. They had problems with substituting status for intimacy and prestige for love and all of that. And she got really seduced into that by her aunt Crystal. So you'll see that, uh, uh, you'll see that. Rachel wants Oliver, but why would Oliver want Rachel? Well, you'll have to read the book to see that. Uh, too bad you don't sell environmental software anymore. I know a railroad in, railroad in Ohio that could really use some. Yeah, you know that uh, the whole thing obviously just goes against the narrative. And uh, uh, it's, um, I mean, it's really rough. It's really rough. You look at the demographics and the Trump support and that's why they're not getting anything. Right? It's just horrible. Just horrible. All right, let me just check. The day you realize the nanny isn't mommy... Or well, the first day at daycare, probably the first real traumatic memory of many, yeah? I've read the book. Rachel's moral courage is the reason, right? Well, it's not much of uh, a... Yeah. Um, she does... She digs pretty deep into herself and finds some very unexpected treasures, as crisis will often do for people. Everybody dreads a crisis. Oh, no, there's a crisis. Oh, there's a terrible thing. But crisis and heroism often come in the same package. And we should not always recoil from crises because crises brings the capacity for courage. Um, can you repeat that line about daycare? It's in the... Uh, oh, um, no, I won't. You can just listen to it again. Um, what causes pathological worrying in a woman? Uh, well, so women um, as a whole, women have a very hard relationship with judging themselves. So... When women are going through a crisis and they ask for help on the internet, they say, like, I, I don't want to be judged. I just, I just need some support. I just, don't be too judgmental. Don't be too, this non-judgmental thing. And men have to be judgmental because we actually have to go out and hunt and kill and, and, and bring back meat from the forest or whatever. Like, we, we, we don't get the excuse of intentions. Well, I meant, to, I, I meant to shoot the deer with the arrow and kill it or whatever, right? 
So uh, women have a very uh, hard blowback when they feel they've done something wrong. Like the, the stomach drops out, the, the blood drains from their face, and they just can self-attack forever, right? So because women are very sensitive to self-attack, they tend to try and control the people in their environment so that nothing bad happens, so that they won't blame themselves or get mad at themselves, and so on. And this has particularly happened when women don't have men to talk them out of their neuroses, right? I mean, men need women to talk them out of their inertia, and women need men to talk them out of their neuroses, right? There's too, the, the too little of masculinity and the too muchness of femininity need to balance each other. So women are worrying about blaming themselves for some particular negative outcome, which is why, as women have dominated parenting, parenting has become incredibly risk-averse. A friend's daughter, she is 19, and Tim's pay her to play video games with her. The father thinks it's funny and is okay with it, right, maybe? Why do I feel like this is a horrible thing to allow your daughter to do? It is a horrible thing to allow your daughter to do because she is relying upon um, people's masturbatory fantasies, and she is selling, in a sense, sexual access on the internet for money. And... I mean, that there was a girl who did these, uh, she was a, te a teenager, mid-teens, I think, and uh, she did um, lots of videos of her sort of dancing around, and she was very attractive and, and all of that, and I think it was some Indian guy ended up stalking her and, and uh, coming to the house, and her father, who was a cop, ended up having to shoot the guy. Now, of course, that's an extreme scenario, but uh, the father, uh, you know, would, uh, this is what I would say. I, mean, I can't imagine this situation, but, the case, but I would say, okay, so you're attractive. Did you own that? Nope. Okay, so men have an instinct to give attractive women resources. Did you earn that? Nope. So you're just mining nature for your own profit, right? It's not like you invented a cure for cancer. It's not like you invented some big, new, wonderful thing. It's not like you are uh, doing great good in the world. You are just um, having strangers pay to masturbate with the fantasy that you've accepted their resources. Therefore, they're more likely to have sexual access, which is kind of how the male brain is wired. If a woman accepts your gift you're more likely to date her or to marry her. That's sort of the way the male brain works. So you are selling to men a fantasy that they can get a woman much more attractive than they can actually get and raising people's standards to these unrealistic, impossible levels is incredibly destructive. You should never settle. You should never settle. I mean, I did this speech earlier this week, so I won't do it again, but you're basically like, let's, I assume his daughter is really attractive. So she's taking money from guys which allows them to masturbate, I guess, with more believability because that keys into the male resource provision in return for sex thing. And she didn't earn men's desire this way. She didn't earn the fact that men desire young, attractive females. And she's just pillaging that. And she's wrecking her society. Because these guys, part of their brain is literally being rewired to say, let's say his daughter's a nine, right? I can get a nine. She took, she took my resources, she took my money, she took my pay, she, she's playing video games with me, I can get a nine. And then what happens? Of course, these guys think that they're already up there in this level, so they don't need to exercise, they don't need to get their teeth cleaned, they don't need to get their skin clear, they don't need to do their hair right, they don't need to go out and make money and get resources to attract a quality woman, they don't need self-knowledge, they don't need virtue, they just, you know, just need to send her 20 bucks on Venmo or whatever, however this works, or the Twitch tips, right? So she's absolutely destroying 
in many ways, or participating in the destruction of these men's capacity to realistically assess their own attractiveness. And if they want a more attractive woman to make themselves more attractive, or if they don't want to make themselves more attractive, settle down with the two or three that they can get, like the number two or three in terms of attractiveness, right? So uh, she is strip mining masturbatory fantasies for profit for things that she never earned and wrecking her society in the process. It's incredibly destructive. It's satanic in a way, because it's like, oh, here's some free stuff. Hey, turns out it's not free. You lose your whole society. So no, it's pretty, pretty wretched. All right. Yeah, imagine being in high school or college and the popular career path is online prostitution and social media influencing. Yeah, that's tough. Uh, it's it's tough, and uh, this is a world without God. I mean, I sort of hate to say it because I was partly, you know, I was, I was pretty pretty harsh on the whole God thing, but that's because I thought that atheists uh, liked science, reason, and evidence, and the only reason that atheists like science is that they get to escape morality. They don't care about science. We saw this with COVID. They care about escaping morality. Um, atheism is satanic in this sense because when I offered them a rational proof of secular ethics, they ran screaming, attacked, ignored, right? They don't, they don't want any of that stuff, right? So... Uh, science and, and atheism is uh, just uh, uh, do, do whatever the hell I want and reduce myself to the level of a very cunning mammal and all of that. So, yeah, it's rough. Uh, what would you say to someone trying to quit marijuana? I was exposed to the drug since I was 11 by an older role model and been able to fully shake it. It's been a constant crutch that I love and hate. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. That's rough. That's rough. Uh, you, were, you were not exposed to the drug. Uh, you were betrayed and corrupted by an older abuser, right? So exposed to the drug since I was 11 by an older role model. Nope, you weren't exposed to the drug, right? You were corrupted. And not, not that you're permanently corrupted, but this was an act of corruption by an abuser. You don't drug 11-year-olds. You don't even remotely. And I, I can't even think of punishments that I would consider too harsh for somebody who drugged an 11-year-old. So no, you were roofied by... A corrupting child abuser and uh, once you start to change the language I think you'll start to change the outcome within your mind and if you would like to uh, help uh, if some help with this uh, I'd like to explore this further c-a-l-l-i-n callin at freedomain.com uh, I haven't been doing doing as many lately because I've really been plowed under by this book which is a real beast to wrangle to the ground so but I'll be starting that back up a little bit more you can go, of course, uh, call in at freedomain.com and, and we can set up a time a time to chat. Uh, okay. All right. Well, listen, everyone, thank you so, so much for a wonderful, wonderful evening of conversation. Seriously, you have the absolute best questions in the known universe. You bring out the best in me. Oh, and I've also started uh, my History of Philosophers series is back up and running. You can get that at freedomain.locals.com. Use the promo code UPB, all caps, UPB2022, and you can uh, get free access to it, and you can cancel if you don't want to. But, uh, yeah, thanks, guys. You, you just, I, I love this community unbelievably deeply and, and sagely. So thank you so much for your support. Freedomain.com slash donate. If you're listening to this later, I would, of course, hugely appreciate your support. And um, have a great, great evening. I will talk to you hopefully this weekend. Mwah, lots of love.